Welcome to the Morning Moxie Show. I am your host, Alicia Sharp. Today on the show, we have Stephen Furtick, and this is part one of a three-part message talking to us about our maker is our mirror. And he's talking to us about how God needs to be our mirror. When we look in the mirror, when we look at ourselves, we need to see what God sees, not what someone else sees, unless it's what God sees, not what we even see at times, not what our past says about us, not what we've done wrong. It's about what God sees in us. Here's Stephen. It's great that we get to see how God makes a nation. He's forming a nation. He said, I want a people that can present me to the world. And he didn't do it the typical way, because if you wanted to have a great nation, you would pick a rich one, a wealthy one. And yet, instead of making a nation that was already great greater, God found a man who was too old to have kids with a wife who was barren in her womb and created a great nation out of an impossible situation. I am preaching so hard already, and I'm trying to throttle down, but this is a message in itself, is that when God found Abram, this was before he had a consonant in his name, the artist formerly known as Abram. He went on to be Abraham. He was the father of many nations. But when God called him, his stuff wasn't even working anymore. And the reason I'm telling you that is because sometimes God will speak something over your life, and you will look in the mirror and not see it. He'll speak something in your soul, and you'll look in the mirror, and you won't see it, which is so important to know that it's not how God sees you that determines where your life ends up. If it had been, Moses wouldn't have died in the wilderness. It's not how God sees me. It's how I think God sees me that determines where I end up. I'll prove it to you all the way from Genesis chapter 1. Remember, let us make man in our image. God needed someone to show the world what he looked like, or else he would have just been a concept. God would have been an abstract theory. So he made man and woman to reflect who he was. He needed someone to show his nature through, so he made me and you. And when you insult the product, you insult the manufacturer, which is why it's good to know our theology that he made me from the dust. That God took something that seemed filthy and something that seemed finite and made something that would reflect what is eternal. Then, after making the man, he began to create not only the world, the man, but a nation through Abram, through someone who seemed unlikely. And the nation of Israel spent a whole lot of time trying to figure out. What we spend our whole lives trying to figure out, or at least our teenage years and our 20s, is like, what's my identity? So, what you're really seeing in Joshua 14 is not just people getting some real estate, but they're coming into their identity, their national identity. And it's hard because they've been through so much and they started from something so small. It's easy for them to see themselves according to what they've been through or where they started. And now they're breaking up. There's nine and a half tribes that get this land. And so Joshua and the priests, they're, they're shaking this receptacle. This is how they would cast lots. They would take the thing and shake it, and they would have little wood blocks with, 
with different codes on them, and then they would kind of shake it out, and what it fell on, that meant this tribe gets that land, and this tribe gets that land. When Caleb interrupts the process, he's like, hold on. You're not going to figure out where I live by just rolling some dice. Okay? I got a promise. Moses said, now remember, Moses was the one who was supposed to lead the people into the land, but he was unable to do it. And here's how I would put it if I were a preacher. He got them out of Egypt, but he never got Egypt out of them. Because they were oppressed for, you know, 430 years. And when you've been under something for any length of time, when you've been under the power of any influence for any length of time, that influence becomes your identity. So now your addiction speaks more to you about your potential than God's word over you, than, than the prophetic gift that's inside of you. It happens to all of us when, when you've been suffering from something. You can begin to take on the name of your disease or your issue trading the name of your creator whose image you were made of. But see, it's… It's how you see it. It's how you see yourself. And I think I can prove to you, if you give me like two and a half minutes, that the reason the people didn't go into the land under Moses was because Moses never really saw himself in the image of his creator. Abram did. Abram did, even though he had a hard time getting with it, even though he was like, you got any pills for that or anything like that, because I'm old now. And even though he had to wait for Isaac and he messed up in the process and ended up producing something that caused him more trouble by sleeping with Hagar, even though all of that happened, God still called him the father of faith, the father of many nations. And to show him who he was, he brought him out of his tent, out of his limitation, out of his situation, and he said, okay, here's your revelation. Here's your situation. Get out of your situation and now look up. Preaching to somebody. Look up. And he said, Count the stars if you can. I don't know how far he got before he was like, What's the point, of God? I can't, you know, 343, 344. What are you trying to show me? And God said, As many as they are, so shall your descendants be. So shall your seed be. So he gives him an image, an image, not just an idea, but an image. Now, Colossians 1.15, look it up real quick, says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. That's very powerful. That Jesus shows us what God is like, that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's what Jesus is. He is the image of the God that we can't see. Did I get it right? Colossians 1.15, that he is the image of the invisible God. This is the challenge for everybody under the sound of my voice. There is a way that God sees you because he formed you. There is a way that you see you. There is a way that others see you. And Where you go from this point forward in your life is going to depend on which mirror you believe. I got all these mirrors in my house that are messed up, and I know they're messed up because they keep showing me my beard is supposed to be black, but I look in those mirrors, and they're messed up. They're defective. I'm going to take them back to the store because they keep showing me these gray patches like I'm 40 years old, and I started rebuking mirrors in my house, you know? these lines coming up under my eyes, and I'm like, you are a liar like your father the devil. I cast you back to the pit of hell where this is accurate. 
How many ever looked in a messed up mirror? How many ever have people around you that made you feel a certain way about yourself? When Moses was coming into his identity and assignment, he had to deal with the fact that he was really living with two different images of who he was. And remember, God is using Moses to deliver the Israelites out of this Egyptian oppression. And when Moses first, first starts to act on his impulse, he does the right thing, but he does it the wrong way. He defends his people, but he does it by murdering an Egyptian. So he's ahead of his time, and he's out of his zone. But he's doing the right thing. But he still doesn't know who he is yet. And it's difficult for him because he doesn't really fit in with either group that he's living with. The Hebrews are the people he was born from. The Egyptians are the people that he was raised by. But he identifies more with the people that he was born from than the people he was raised by. So he doesn't really fit in. And when you don't really fit in to either group, you end up running. That's what happened to Moses. He, he confronted an Egyptian who was beating a Hebrew one day, and he killed him and buried him. But then the next day, he went out and saw two of his brothers fighting, and he was like, break it up, guys. You know, we're suffering enough from them. We don't, we don't have to kill each other. And this is in Exodus chapter 2. I want to show it to you real quick. You got it? Exodus 2. The man said back to him, who has made you a prince and a judge over us. Do you mean to kill me as you have killed the Egyptian? And then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. And he ran. He ran. We don't really see him in his next stage of his assignment until 40 years later. He ran because he was too Hebrew to be an Egyptian and too Egyptian to be a Hebrew. And when you don't really fit in with either, you don't know who you are, and you spend years of your life running from who you really are, looking in the mirror of your last mistake. He ran and he ran and he ran. And see, the question is the right one. He said, who made you? Who made you? But if you don't know that, you will hand other people your mirror to show you who you are. And let me tell you something about people. People would rather define you by your worst mistake. What's crazy about Moses is he killed a man, and there's only one verse in the Bible about the murder. Now, if you let church people write the Bible, they would have had a whole book about it would be called the book of Moses's murder the book of Moses's mistake the book of Debbie's divorce the book of your lowest moment but maybe God doesn't see you through the lens of your mistake maybe he sees you through the lens of his grace maybe when he looks at you he sees the finished work of Jesus Christ have you ever thought about the fact that if they didn't make you, they can't define you. My maker is my mirror. That was Stephen Furtick. You can find that clip on YouTube if you search under Stephen Furtick, my maker is my mirror. You can also find out more information about him at stephenfurtick.com. Have a wonderful day today, and I will see you again tomorrow. God bless. You.